Welcome to the Tossing Clubs Podcast. Next on the tee, your hosts, Frank Jang, Zach Moses, and Aaron Tan. Yo, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Tossing Clubs. This is another episode brought to you by Frank, Zach, and unfortunately not Aaron. Uh, he had to had work work priorities, so sorry about that. But you know who did join us? Carson Yorkshot. Uh, I hope Carson. I hope I did that right. Okay, decent. Let me know if not. Send it in the DMs. But it was absolutely such a pleasure talking to him. Really melting together golf with nature with his background coming from australia uh just a really chill guy to talk to zach what do you think yeah so chill uh, a surfer now a golfer gumtree golf and nature club is the company he started and it was really cool hearing from someone that had such a different perspective on golf compared to so many other guests that we've had on this show i feel like so many people like you and i included at sometimes we go out there on a golf course and we want to shoot our best score all the time. And that's like all we really care about. And sometimes we don't take a moment to step back and kind of just appreciate our surroundings and appreciate how beautiful some of the golf courses are that we've played. And, and Karsten's built an entire brand kind of around that perspective and that vibe, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And he's really uh, a lot like us in a way because he worked, you know, really hard in a big city um, you know, in his own words, he said he got burnt out and he decided to do something about it. And that's really cool to, you know, hear about just, a, you know, sort of like it's sort of inspirational in a sense. Right. Wouldn't you agree, Zach? Yeah, you got to support the other small golf entrepreneurs and that would include us. And so it's always nice to bring someone on that has like a similar story and, you know, a similar purpose. And that's doing something really cool out there in the golf world. Yeah, so we won't keep everyone waiting. Uh, and without further ado, here's our interview with Karsten Yorkshot. Hey, Karsten. Welcome to the uh, Tossing Clubs podcast. How's it going? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. How's uh, golf out in New York right now? It seems like it's away from the winter, entering the spring. Like, Are you golfing nowadays? Yeah, I mean, golf is, golf is happening for sure. Um, getting to the the New York summertime golf scene, which is kind of a beast in itself, but uh, it's uh, getting busy, getting sunny, getting hot. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of nice pockets and good golf to be had for sure. What part of New York are you uh, situated at right now? So I'm in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, just over the bridge from downtown. And my studio is in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, just up the river. So got a little pocket here in the, the the brooklyn side of things where i have all my all my operations nice nice tell us what courses are out there that uh you frequent <laughs> well new york i mean it's uh it's its own personal style of golf as i'm sure you guys kind of know um so there's obviously the really exclusive places um and then there's the really kind of down and dirty new york public courses which are so cool and old and epic in their own right so i kind of kind of try to keep a, a healthy balance <laughs> but yeah i was out at beth page on sunday for the opening weekend and was lucky enough to play the black with some friends and sunset and that was pretty special um but i also love traveling upstate 
to play golf upstate New York. As you guys might imagine with Gumtree uh, Golf and Nature Club, like those kind of environments up there are pretty suited to my vibe. And I personally like getting getting out and playing golf as far away from the crowds as possible. So a lot of special places up there like Ines and a few other kind of like really rugged beautiful spots when we were out in new york uh last year to play beth page we didn't realize how far like away from the, the city <laughs> beth page was and oh, yeah. there's also i guess <laughs> yeah. like multiple ways that people yeah. can actually get out there like we we had a rental car and we drove out there but i've heard of plenty of people just kind of hopping on the subway bringing their clubs making it making it out there it's like do you drive out there to beth page or do you hop on a subway how do you how do you get out there i i'm lucky enough to have a car so i i drive drive my car out there yeah <laughs> but uh i'm not that hardcore um to catch the train yeah i've always thought it's been funny when i've seen photos of people just like bringing their clubs onto the subway which is such a strange thing but i know it's like kind of part of playing golf in new york because there's like not a ton that's like in the the heart of the city and you kind of got to get out there um to yeah. find golf but uh yeah our our one experience with golf up there was was awesome beth page is beautiful black kind of kicked our butt but it was, yeah, a beautiful time. Yeah. Carson, so you're from Australia, correct? Correct. So how how's the golf there? Did you play golf uh, growing up over there, down under? So I didn't play a whole lot of golf. I just played, you know, bits and pieces um, with my, you know, with my friends and, you know, my teens and, you know, with my dad every now and again. But it's, it's overall from what i remember growth golf growing up it was way more chill than it is here in america you know a little bit less exclusive a little bit more just go down to the the course and have a hit um so that was my experience growing up i was never like a high school golfer or a college golfer or anything like that just a, a hobby on the side for fun um it was only in new york during the pandemic where i really kind of fell in love again with the game which i know is a super common narrative um and i'm sure you guys hear that a lot but especially in new york city there just isn't that many opportunities to get outside and do something in for four hours that makes you feel like you're not in new york city um and golf is just that thing and it's it's phenomenal but i recently went back to australia for a couple of months um to hang out with my family and and do some do some stuff back at home and i played a lot of golf um, I hit some pretty special spots, so I, I made the most of it. Nice. Tried to make up for lost time. I must imagine there's probably a lot more green space out there in Australia than in New York, uh, especially in New York City. Uh, but then tell us about how when you fell in love with it. That's around when you started Gumtree Golf and Nature Club, right? Um, yeah, tell us about that story. Uh, what you know may inspired you to start something like this? Yeah, so I started back up with golf maybe like two and a half years ago. Um, and Gumtree is only about four months old. So there was a bit of a gap there. Where I was just playing golf a lot and just, you know, falling back in love with the game. Um, but like I was kind of alluding to before, it really the part that really hooked me was just the getting outside in the nature and feeling disconnected and almost serving as a release and a, a form of meditation to counteract the crazy New York lifestyle. Um, obviously like I was working in advertising as a creative director, running a couple of big accounts here in New York and working crazy hours and sneaking off to the golf course, even if it was just down to Queens and being in the, 
this little kind of parkland style course where when the trees are in, like you literally cannot see um, another building and you kind of forget you're in the city. That kind of helped me get through a lot of those kind of crazy weeks. And I used to do that in Australia with surfing, um, go down and go for a surf for a couple of hours, be in the nature, switch off from all my work problems or just whatever was going on in my life and just have that moment to myself to reset. And I think being in New York, I didn't get to surf as much. And then during COVID, we didn't really get to do anything as much. Um, so having finding that same feeling through golf was like a real kickstart to me. And I, I just remember thinking, um, man, I'm sure there's hundreds and th- or thousands of other people in New York alone that have that same feeling and would love to kind of have that experience. So I wanted to start a brand that focused on that and a um, little bit less on professional golf and on low scores and on all the things that normally leave you frustrated sometimes in a round of golf if you're not playing well or whatever that may be and just focus on the other stuff which can be equally as fulfilling um and i worked as a landscape gardener my dad had a landscaping business when i was a kid um so i spent many years going to work with him on the weekends and on the side um and working as a landscaper so i have all this knowledge of plants and how everything like that works and I kind of fell in love with that side of things and then I also used to sew on the side when I was younger we didn't have heaps of money growing up for like crazy clothes and every time there was like a school formal or a dance or something like that I would go with my friends to like the um, thrift store and buy cheap old suits and then tailor them into kind of like cool skinny leg sort of stuff that we were all into back then so I kind of had those two worlds and those two skills in my past and I just kind of thought that would be a perfect thing to put together for um for a golf brand like a more sustainable slow fashion small batch handmade stuff that focuses on the the nature aspect of the game love it yeah I think uh when I guess out playing golf I think a lot of critics say golf courses they just take up too much water right um but you know in San Francisco there's not that much green space but one of the more recent i guess divisions is the presidio uh it's a golf club and then there are people saying oh we could turn that into green space for the public uh i guess like you you've always been on like both sides of it right i mean it's i think it's really fascinating just how you know moving forward like there's so much effort that's put into maintaining these golf courses but at the same time it is like yeah i mean it seems like just sort of like peanut butter and jelly like it, sh- it makes sense to meld nature with um you know something that you do outside like mm-hmm. this golf activity right yeah totally i mean i think there's that's always been like a tough juxtaposition for me too but it feels like a shame to ignore i think the more we can, i can or people like me or more brands that maybe take this angle can educate or excite people about the nature angle of of golf perhaps the more effort will be put in from courses to take a more sustainable angle um i know that there's like there's obviously courses that are doing it and you know even places like bandon i know have like a really solid skew towards you know using the natural water and not displacing animals and you know it's definitely going in my opinion the new even all the king collins stuff like here up in ns in new york and 
it's all going to this more rugged, um, less maintenance required, like let's more natural bodies of water that can sustain the environment and the and not displace wildlife and you know natural water systems, organic pesticides, um, obviously fescue that just is cool. It looks cooler anyway if it if you can just let it run wild. But obviously you don't need to then mow that stuff, which means like less fumes from less fuel being used for the mowers so there's a lot of things that i can see the golf industry starting to do or it's becoming trendy to not necessarily be perfectly manicured and it's obviously also better for the environment Um, and then it's just education like making sure that people know what the cost is of putting a golf course there and then finding ways to then counteract that a little bit like oh i'm trying to start a program where i um I don't. I build and donate little bird houses to golf courses to put up around the course because I know some courses already do that as a way to kind of, if they're chopping down trees, give birds that might be native to the area little homes. Um, but it's normally just one or two, and some courses don't even have it. So little things like that. I think if I can be a champion of those kind of initiatives, you know, it's it's got a long way to go, but I think for a sport that relies so heavily on nature, like there should be more stuff like that. So that's what I'm trying to push. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and I also know that you guys, uh, I guess you contribute around a couple percent of every purchase to remove mm-hmm. CO2. I guess, how does, how does that work? So right now I'm just, I'm contributing the 2% to a third party company, this company called Arbor. So what they do is it's like a biomass, uh, carbon removal and storage, company so they remove carbon by um converting it uh converting biomass waste to products like electricity and um they kind of permanently store the co2 underground in their kind of proprietary system so it's a way too complicated for me to understand but it's like a modern tech company way of reducing co2 in like a non-destructive way um so i kind of picked them out as something that i thought was was a good way to give back without just like, yeah, we're planting a tree and it's kind of, you can plant that tree and that's effective. But I think funding initiative is more of a long-term solve to, um, you know, scale the sort of difference that can be made. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really important and I like it. I think more golf brands should be doing little things that like that that are beyond the golf and give back to, to people in the world. Um, so it's definitely nice to see. Uh, I think with, with what I like most about Gumtree is it's just it seems so relatable. It's like most all of us on this podcast, we have, you know, nine to five jobs and like getting out on the golf course is that escape. We don't get to do it that often. But yeah, like you said, it's four or five, six hours out there in nature, walking around, hitting a golf ball and having a bunch of fun with our friends. And um, I know one of the things that you guys do, uh, at least on your Instagram, is a series called just out for a walk. Are there any kind of moments, experiences, places that you've been that, that stand out to you that, that you could share? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty. And I mean, I love that series just because it forces me or it forces hopefully now more people to, to stop and, and take a look around. I mean, I, I, I was, I was not doing it too. And I think when I started to take these notes and just really take in the environments, it was a much more fulfilling experience. And like I said, like I could, I could go out there and not play awesome, but I could, I know it sounds corny, but I could see like a couple of crazy animals or, you know, beautiful flowers and 
it's just cool in a different way. So, I mean, personally for me, I was in Europe uh, a year ago and I, I played at a couple of really nice places. There was this one golf course in Tuscany, um, you know, which isn't known for golf, for golf. Um, but there's this one beautiful course that's in this valley um, in the hillside in Tuscany. And there's an old ruins of a, of a castle that sits up on this hill that kind of overlooks the whole course. And it's quite, not spooky, but it's quite a, uh, it has quite an effect on the place. Like from every single hole, you can see it. And then the fairways have little, you know, olive green olive trees um, lining the fairways and, you know, all these beautiful little kind of wildflowers and animals. So that, that one was special. Um, And then I got to play golf in Austria um, at this golf course. I think it was called the the Dolomite, Real Dolomites Golf Club. Um, And yeah, it was really cold, but it was, I think I have a photo of it on my Instagram. It's literally, you're teeing off on a par four and there's the flag and then there's literally just snow-capped, rocky mountains in the distance. So that was pretty special. Plus all, I couldn't speak German I mean, or Austrian German. So all these, these three, I just kind of, I was just passing through. So I paired up for nine holes with these Austrian guys and uh, they were yelling stuff out. I think it was good stuff. The tone sounded positive after I hit a ball, <laughs> but yeah, just fun. Like that was pretty special. And there's like some big kind of hawks and, um, you know, wildlife that you would imagine would be in the, in the Austrian mountains, which is pretty insane too. So that's a highlight for sure. Yeah, I think uh, when playing golf, like different people are looking for different things. For me, it's shoot a personal best. For other people, it's just hang out with their friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, I took my wife out to play, and she's there for the nature. She's there to like see the foxes running around, and you know, look at the nice sights and scenes. And um, you know, having said that, what are like some courses that you that's like on your bucket list, right? It might because I feel like a lot of people is pretty. You know, standard like I'm looking to play Augusta or you know Olympic Club etc cetera, etc cetera. but I feel like I don't know, you might have some interesting perspectives on that yeah so that's interesting I mean I my take on it is and I think again I think this is from my kind of surfing upbringing in Australia I used to we used to always travel for hours and search down all these little dirt roads to try to find uh, breaks with nobody around like we wouldn't obviously go like we would grew up down near bells beach and some famous spots in australia but it's like you don't want to go there because there's a thousand people every day so i think i kind of have a similar approach to golf like i'm not really i mean i would play there if somebody wants to take me to pebble beach like i'll I'll come and play but like it's it's certainly not you know i'm not i'm not gonna lose sleep if i if i don't play and it's it's not on my list and to answer your question i don't necessarily have a massive list of of bucket list courses in that way, because I, I like all the, my favorite memories, like the two that I mentioned to you, they weren't planned. You know, I was, I was just, I was in those areas for something else. And I always just see what golf is around and, and I, and they've, they've been my, by far and away the, the most special rounds of my life. So I, I kind of think that's like such an interesting approach to golf too. Um, even when I, when I was in Australia over summer and I went to Tasmania to play Barn Boogle and it was fast. It was fantastic. But on the way there, I passed this little town um, 
on the east coast of Tasmania and it just had a little nine hole course that was on the this prime piece of land, like a little peninsula. The town probably only had a couple of hundred people and they just maintained this little nine hole course itself. But every single hole was along the water and the view was like across the bay onto a national park, like phenomenal oceanside pebble beach style course, just a nine hole course you could play for $19. Um, in the middle of nowhere, Tasmania. So to me, that was just as special as Barnboogle in a different way, even though Barnboogle is a top 10 bucket list course for a lot of people, and it was for me too. But I think um, I like that side of golf, the adventure and the unexpected stuff. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. I feel like a lot of people, um, and I sometimes fall into this trap too, you kind of like, you, you see the top 100 list from Golf Digest, right? And people kind of become yeah. collectors. You're like, I just want to play every single course on that list. And like, there's so much more to golf. It's not just a checklist. It is getting out there and just observing other things. There's, there's more than just hitting a ball. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think that's really cool. Could you talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the products that you've released or anything that you have down the pipeline, any plans for events, anything like that? Yeah, sure. So right now I've got a range of um, mostly accessories that I've that I've been making here in New York uh, myself. So they're super limited batch, um, little essentials pouches for your um, for your tees and your wallet and phone when you're on the course. Uh, duffel bag for kind of like you know more of like a cart bag slash club kind of bag, shoe bags. Um, I've got a range of other things like tees and a little just out for a walk golf book, some sweaters. Um, but my goal is to um, obviously scale and, and have more apparel, but I just, I'm, I'm quite against kind of the fast fashion golf um, side of things on the apparel side, obviously from a sustainable point of view and just from like, a, I mean, there there's already so much of it. I think we've hit kind of peak peak polyester in the golf world so i'm trying to find a way to um to grow the brand but keep the heart of what i stand for intact so i'm just trying to take it slow and uh, my goal is to kind of find a partner and a, a supplier in the united states that can continue the upcycle recycled thing um, with me and, and takes old pieces of fabric or old blankets or old whatever it may be and um, upcycle them and give them a new life into some some golf clothing and and kind of partner with me in that way rather than outsourcing to a overseas supplier that kind of churns them out. So I'm in the process of figuring that out. I've got a collaboration coming out with uh, Four Wind Golf, um, the head covers from uh, from Maine. So we found an old uh, farm tent from the '60s um, at a property up in Vermont that we're uh, turning into head covers, which is pretty special. So everyone will be 100% unique. Um, They've got really cool things from, it's like an old wax canvas tent. So it's got all the brass grommets. It's got little bits and pieces of rope and that'll be pretty cool. So that's kind of the vibe that I want to then expand onto um, other parts of of the brand. Up until this point, have you been just making everything yourself? Like I know you mentioned you sew. Yeah. Dang. yeah totally <laughs> pretty much i mean pretty much the hats obviously like i i buy the blanks and then adjust them from there but all the all the physical things like the bags and all that stuff like yeah i saw some material here in new york in the garment district in manhattan and then i make it all in my studio 
so that's why it's like you kind of 10 things and then they're gone they're gone you know and then i just kind of wait until i have another idea or i find another piece of fabric like that that uh camellia pattern pouch that i did around the masters i just found that fabric that week up in the garment district and i was like i mean that's perfect yeah perfect for my brand and perfect timing for the masters so i just made 10 and and yeah they went super fast so we'll see what's next but um I'm just kind of playing it by ear, seeing what happens. Yeah, it's quite the uh, entrepreneurial story, just doing everything yourself, making everything at home or in your studio. I think you also mentioned, and maybe it was in like an Instagram post or something, that you kind of left like your job in advertising. And are you kind of focusing on this like full time now? What kind of, how did you decide to make that that leap? Well, I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, like I... I I didn't necessarily leave my job to do Gumtree. I kind of, I had Gumtree in my back pocket for like a year. I think like I mentioned that on that post, but I'm sure you guys have this same problem where you're just so consumed with other stuff that sometimes the things that are most important to you get put on the back burner. And um, I'd been, I think it was like my five year, five year anniversary of being in New York. And I, I worked like a lot you know, I moved from Australia to New York for a job and um, I had a really successful career here in New York and I was working like crazy at this this agency I was at the last couple of years. I was the creative director for the New York Knicks and I did a film for WhatsApp, which is on Amazon Prime, which was really cool, but that took a year. And um, I honestly was just super burnt out. So I... um, I'd worked hard enough that I had the ability to step away. And I thought I'll just take a couple of months off, go back to Australia, reset, play some golf, whatever. And then like a week into my time off, I just, I had all this creative energy and I, an inspiration, honestly, which was just the best. So I decided, you know what, like now's the perfect time to do make gum tree a reality. So I just started it. So I've been, pretty much working on that full time since then. And I said, I'll give myself like six months or so and, and, and try to kickstart it. And that's what I've been doing. So luckily for me, um, you know, I started working as a, as a designer and then I moved into being an art director and eventually like a, a creative director and um, strategist in, in advertising. So I kind of have most of the skills to be able to do the whole thing from scratch. So it was kind of fun to just have to, rely on myself not worry about any clients and just kind of put my however long years of career to the test and be like all right let's try to make something out of nothing and that was kind of the the challenge and i think you guys tell me but i think so far so good we'll see yeah i yeah i feel like uh you know being a creative director there's a lot more applicable skills to entrepreneurship than uh me who's an actuary very into statistics and excel and zach tell tell, tell carson what do you do i mean i work in marketing there's some uh there's some <laughs> skills that that transfer over but uh i mean but yeah neither of us can make a product like we can't sew anything and create like whatever it might be <laughs> um but yeah i think we're kind of you know taking a similar approach we do everything ourselves we're figuring out as we go and i feel like that's the same story that so many yeah. you know small golf entrepreneurs have 
And then it's kind of just like a, you know, keep doing it and keep figuring stuff out. And then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's really fun being on the journey. And I I feel like your story is one that a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people that we know within our network can definitely relate to because we're all just trying to, you know, do something really fun and really cool in the golf industry. Um, and that's, yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we enjoy hopping on every week and and doing a podcast. And it's interesting, like the trends, like in the a couple of years ago, a few years ago, everyone just wearing Titleist, TaylorMade, Callaway gear. And now it, the fashion has definitely branched out into whole different, you know, different routes. It's it's super cool to see um, how this progresses forward, right? Because I think obviously golf is at like a great space, but is this sort of like the peak, right? And that's what I worry about a little bit, that golf might be shrinking actually, uh, you know, in a bit. Yeah, I know. It's we'll see. I mean, I didn't do my thing for a while because I I kind of felt like you know the world didn't need another golf brand. But then I was reassured, you know, because I let it sit for six months and then revisited it, and I said, you know what? Like, I still don't see this exact thing out there. And maybe I'm super niche in my interests, but like there isn't something that I personally a hundred percent relate to. Like, there's so many brands and so much cool stuff that I respect and think is awesome. But like from my angle, I'm like, man, there isn't really the exact thing that I want to see yet. And I think like that should be the reason why you start something, right? Like to fill a a gap, not just kind of to add to the noise. So I still think that there's more opportunity within golf for people to do that as long as they're coming in like adjacent to something and and, and filling like a space or inventing a, a space within golf that hasn't been touched rather than, you know, copycat kind of brands obviously but um i don't think it's dying we'll see but <laughs> i hope not <laughs> yeah i think um like what you're talking about your particular product i was searching for head covers the other day and yeah i am into the floral aesthetic right like look at my yeah. hat you know a lot of my shirts yeah. have <laughs> um i guess like a floor pattern on them like victor hovland shirt at the masters i thought that was sick right uh even though people are like what is that i don't know i thought it looked great uh, so yeah. And I saw like a lot of it's like hip bombs or like, yeah. you know, it's all in the hips, like sort of like these meme stuff or just, I don't know, just like yeah. a different style. Right. Um, and yeah, just thinking about like the other guests that we've had, right. It is like, I think it's interesting to see like so many different angles being taken onto these like apparel, um, you know, uh, items it's, and it is great to break out the mode of just being like a billboard for Titleist, I feel. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like there's other things in life that we, items that we might buy that we keep for a long time, which in golf, I feel like it's so disposable. You buy like a, like a sports golf polo and then, you know, you're in the next pro shop and, and people just buy another one. And I've seen these insane wardrobes photos of these guys that just have like 50 golf polos that just have the only difference is like a little logo here, you know, and they're all probably made out of shitty material. So like, I think there's, there's a hundred percent space in golf for like things that are a little bit higher quality, perhaps like even just in terms of, material or or whatever it may be that you that kind of take on a bit of a life of its own and a little bit of patina over the years and it's something that you would keep as a vintage item 
and 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 it still has value because it's still cool and it wears in a certain way just like you would if you spent like a bunch of money on something else um from like a like a european fashion brand or some other kind of american streetwear brand like you're not just going to kind of throw it out um after six months so i think i think that's where i want to see like golf apparel going a little bit and just i know streetwear is doing it in a really cool cool way like good stuff that you can wear on and off the course but like in a way that leans a little bit heavier into like the the fashion non-streetwear fashion side like an acne studios type thing or like emily Bodie doing with her recycled stuff here in new york and la like i think quality items that are a little bit more premium and, and you keep for years and years and you can wear them on and off the course but it's not necessarily skate influenced i think that's a whole thing that hasn't really been tapped which i'm kind of excited to to lean into myself yeah uh i'm actually in the market to get like a tea pouch right now i'm like using uh i don't know it's like plastic bag and it's just it's, it's not the move <laughs> um and i honestly don't want to get like i'm not like a supreme like pouch guy or anything like that and like there's obviously a lot of different other types of pouches but i think it'd be sick if there was like because i know you have one on your website but it is um like if there was like a floral pattern to it right i think that would be absolutely a hit well that one's sold out right yeah there was a quick one for the the masters that came out which is beautiful i loved it thanks um, man yeah frank you <laughs> missed it it was just a flat it was just a quick one dude yeah i just made 10 but yeah it was just uh over the masters weekend and, and they sold out unfortunately you're gonna have to wait till next masters frank <laughs> yeah any chance you're gonna make like another 10 or like <laughs> maybe a 11 uh, let me know all right i'll let you know <laughs> let me see if i can go back and try to find the fabric again oh man well i've got like a new question that we haven't asked too many guests but i'm kind of just curious and i feel like you're a good person to to maybe start on um how would you describe like your ideal day on the golf course like what course what time who are you bringing what are you eating kind of just like go through an ideal day out on the golf course well okay well i mean i i really there's this golf course down back in australia um, that i really love which could be on the list but I think I've got to say, like, I'm, I mean, I'm a sucker for, and I know this is pretty antisocial, like, I love playing golf with friends, but I love playing, like, doing a really early morning, even just nine holes by myself, you know what I mean? Like, first tea time, or just, just rolling up, because I think that's another reason why I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily in, insanely in love with some of those more popular courses because I don't have the best round of golf when I'm, when people are waiting for me to hit every time and I can feel all these people. So I would say like, I'm a massive fan of, of NS upstate New York, the King Collins little nine hole course. So I would, I would say like a first tea time, grab a coffee from the, from the little barn pro shop, walk out onto the course with that and just, literally first light walk around and i would say like a a summer's day like a summer's day but it's kind of cold in the morning um so it's still got that kind of mist to it um and it's just me i just love being on the course and looking in every direction not seeing a single other person sometimes it's just a pretty special feeling um 
So yeah, I'd say that. I like that a lot. I wish I was a morning person so I could try that. <laughs> I feel like the idea of ever making the first tea time out on a golf course seems so impossible to me, but I'm sure it's such an incredible like time. It's to be so there. good. If I come over to the West Coast, we, we got to do it. I'll drag you out there. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a byproduct again. Like there's so much crossover, even though in, it's not super obvious. Like to me, there's so much crossover between surfing and golf. Um, because, you know, that's kind of like my, how I lived in Australia all the, all the way until I moved. Like I would, you would just get up at like six o'clock or six thirty, go down, have a paddle for a couple of hours, start your day, come back, have breakfast, go to work. So, um, I mean, my dad, he just turned 70 years old and he still does that. <laughs> so when I went back to Australia, he was, you know, he was up at six, six thirty every day, like packing the car with the boards. Sick. So I just took that same mentality to golf and I feel like it's it's driven me to kind of have these special moments where no one's around or hit some of these courses that are a bit off the beaten track and I think that's cool. Love that. Yeah, that's Zach, really cool. uh, definitely not the morning guy. Sort of surprised because he actually is the guy who, out of all three of us, started golf the earliest. Uh, so as like, you know, a 10-year-old. And then we try to yeah. go out, plan a golf trip, Book a tea time to Gamble Sands in uh, Washington, and remember, it was like, oh, you know what'd be sick if we play two rounds in you know in one day, right? So we could like start out at seven, get lunch, play games. Like, dude, seven's like too early. Like, it's gonna be freezing cold. And I'm just, I was just so surprised, man. I'm a big time uh, sunset golfer, like twilight rates. I mean, I played my first time I played was growing up in high school, right? So high school you'd play after school, so I was so used to playing in the afternoon. And then you could also I had no money as a kid, right? So it was always cheapest to go mm, yeah. right an hour, two hours before the sun went down. So I just got so used to that. And now as an adult, it's like the tea times you're trying to get to are, you know, those 7, 8 a.m.s on like a Saturday morning to get kind of like get through golf in the morning and then you still have a day ahead of you. And it's tough. It's tough for me. I just haven't quite fully adapted, but um, I need to because it's yeah. a big part of like great golf is golf in the morning. The early tea times is incredible because it's just, you know, it's not as many people there, right? It's not as backed up. And then you have the whole day after you. Yeah. So, Carson, if you're ever over here, well, tea times are hard to get here in the Bay, um, as I'm sure it's just as hard in New York. But we'll try our best to get something early yeah. uh, for you and for Zach. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Speaking of that, Carson, have you ever uh, visited the West Coast? Yeah, I have. I have. I've, I was in LA a lot for production back, you know, when I worked in, you know, advertising. Um, and I did actually like a massive uh, road trip down California. Um, maybe it was like six or seven years ago. But yeah, I hired a, uh, rented a, um, an old like uh, Westphalia. And we drove from san francisco kind of out to all the national the yosemite national park and then all the way down the coast and all the way down to san diego and back around through joshua tree and yeah it was like a good two three month you know trip but i didn't have any golf clubs that was just surfboards only but um i love it out there i just haven't got back as much as i as i'd liked over the years only really for work but yeah plenty of golf to play I just got to get there. Exactly. When you said, uh, I mean, we don't necessarily need to play Pebble Beach, obviously, but Zach actually grew up in Monterey. Uh, and so he knows a lot of great courses that are 
obviously not as famous, but still um, like top quality too. Yeah, lots of beautiful courses out on the West Coast, but also a ton on the East Coast. And that's a, an area that we haven't experienced a ton ton with. And yeah, if we're out there again in New York, we'll definitely hit you up and we'd love to try yeah. some more tracks out there. Yeah, let's do it. There's heaps. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading up to Maine um, next month for a little two-week road trip. So I'm really excited to hit hit some of those courses. I heard about a little nine-hole course that's um, you got to catch a boat from Portland, Maine. And it's on its own little island, and it's just a little nine-hole course, and that's all that's on the island. So I'm really <laughs> keen to hit that place. I know those kind of places just get me like so hyped. Uh, I think Maine will have heaps of them, you know, especially inland in the woods and stuff. Like, there's got to be some pretty magical little spots. Yeah, I must imagine those courses. It is just separated from like the concrete and the noise. And uh, man, I haven't been to Maine, but that's one of those states that's like on my list to go uh see and visit and yeah dude, it's always cool like hearing about these courses because i didn't know that there's a course up there that you have to take a little boat to get to that's yeah Yeah. i I have to check that out too i was about to go there like we were about planning a trip to visit the national park up there but uh i might have to squeeze that in too you know you can always squeeze it in it's only nine holes it's on the way yeah yeah (laughs) i'll send it to you yeah, yeah, please do. Uh, thank you so much, Carson. Thank you for your time. Yeah, this has been Thanks, great. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for chatting to me. Yeah, um, absolutely wonderful discussing golf, nature, your brand. Um, and, you know, we hope to, you know, we'll be following you. So uh, best of luck out there. And, hey, I'm just saying, it's just another release of those pouches, man. I, I'll be, just let me know. <laughs>